Thanks very much, Mark. Uh, my name is Tim, and I'm an alcoholic. And it's uh, it's a it's a privilege to be asked, to be honest, because uh, when I was drinking, nobody would have asked me to even come to uh, a birthday party, let alone to speak to anybody. Um, and uh, when I first came to AA, I, I didn't understand what a privilege was. You know, I I was just totally into myself. You know, people were coming up to me and saying that I was the most important person in the room, which I agreed with, even though, you know, my self-esteem and self-confidence were at rock bottom. Um, I still thought I was very, very important. And um, and I said, it's great that you're here. And I thought, you bastards. You know, do you not know how much pain I'm in? Do you know what? Do you not know the daily struggle I go through with drink? You know? Do you not know? Do you not know? I didn't realize that what they were they they weren't saying that they were glad that I was alcoholic, but they were saying that I was glad that they were glad that I got to AA, um, because certainly it's been my experience that I find a solution uh, to uh, to my mental disease. You know, and I I think that word disease or dis-ease just describes perfectly what I uh, lived through from when I was uh, a young child you know I started off um, I just didn't do reality very well and I could never deal with my emotions properly so I started to retreat into playing with Lego as a kid and um, reading books and watching films escaping into another reality where the villain always got punished you know everybody got their just desserts and everything was fair and just and uh and real life unfortunately isn't like that and i i just couldn't deal with it i remember being at school and uh we were taking a test or something it was p6 so i was about maybe nine or ten years old and this guy turned around to ask me a question i didn't even hear what his question was but uh i said what because you know whatever and i got caught and sent to the principal's office and I got punished for just replying to somebody um and I said to my teacher at the time but that's not fair I didn't do anything that's not fair and he said well life's not fair Timothy what a dick you know telling a nine or ten year old well life isn't fair well how about fuck you how about that you know and that was kind of my attitude from then on uh if not before that but then I discovered booze when I was about 13 or 14. And that's that's common um, sort of around my area, I suppose, that, you know, between 13 and 16, you know, illicit substances like booze are discovered and you experiment with it. And at the time, we all drank the same. You know, we all drank to get drunk, always just drank to get drunk for the feeling. It certainly wasn't for the taste. Rotten cider on a Friday night. No, thank you um but uh you know i i was a blackout and greedy drinker from the very start and i i just thought that was normal because that's the way all me and my mates drank and yet here i am in a room of aa and none of them are you know and that always you know it, it always just sort of why me you know um, and I used to always think about those superheroes that I loved reading about and, you know, in comic books and films and stuff like that. And I always wanted the tragic backstory. 
you know, but then to turn out to be the hero. Well, I've certainly got a fucking tragic backstory now, you know, so be careful what you wish for. But uh, my parents split up when I was about 11. Um, and dad's just, not to put too fine a point on it, he fucked off um, and sort of absolved himself of any responsibility. And I found it very difficult to live at home. What I didn't realize at the time, all I saw was from my own perspective, but my mum was having a very hard time with my stepdad because he was much older and didn't really want to take care of two uh, younger kids. Um, so I resented my mum for all of the things that she had to do. Uh, I've since, since learned very different. But uh, I, I just find it difficult. I didn't feel comfortable in my own home. Uh, it was just a house I stayed in, you know, and then dad moved to Canada when I was about 18, 19. And that was pretty crushing because uh, he just started a new family and I uh, I just felt very rejected. And I say all of that not for sympathy, but because when it comes to my story and I can only speak for myself, um, a lot of the things that happened in my childhood are reasons for um, the way I developed as an adult, uh, one of those being uh, an addictive personality, you know, uh, and there's an argument as to whether it's nature or nurture. Uh, I believe myself that it's sort of half and half because there's alcoholism that does run in the family. Um, but my inability to deal with emotions, you know, the, the physical compulsion Certainly, I, th I think that's a genetic thing. But when it comes to the mental obsession, that that, that to me is all um, nurture. Um, but, you know, dr drinking wasn't a problem for me for, for quite a while. Um, I coasted through uh, school. Um, I was very, very good at maths and things which were logical. And I did have an artistic side as well. Um, got to university, fucking hated it because... I was too interested in drinking. Um, so I went back to our local sort of technical college, studied media studies, which is a bit more airy-fairy, and um, and then went back to university to study uh, visual communication. And that was great. You know, all the while, you know, drink was involved, but it never overpowered anything in my life. Uh, and I got a girlfriend and we got engaged and we got a house and I was working full time and then full time education um, to pay for the house. And coming towards the end of my degree, I realized I'm not happy. I'm not happy at all. Society says that I'm meant to now get a job, get married and have kids. And I don't want to be married and I don't want kids. And I don't want to be tied down to the house. Um. <laughs> And I think at the time, it was probably just because I was a very, very selfish person. I didn't want to be beholden to anybody. You know, I didn't want anything to hold me back. I didn't want to be told what to do and when to do it, which is the way I saw the relationship. Um, so I split up with my fiance and got a job on cruise ships. And it was freaking open season. So being, I mean, over uh, working for a company called Holland America in the Caribbean, working for an American company, um, people from North America don't tend to see North and South of Ireland. Um, they just see Irish, and that means that you're a drinker. And I happily obliged, you know, 80 cents for a bottle of beer. Are you kidding me? Brilliant. Fill your boots. 
And I was drunk every single night uh, from then on until I was about 37, to be honest. Um, still, though, it didn't really cause a problem. But it did start to leak in. in the in, And this is a sort of, for me, the insidious nature of alcoholism. It, uh, it crept in in ways which I didn't notice at first. Like, um, I'd always be wondering, you know, if we had a bit of time off and we're heading to the beach, was there a bar nearby? You know, was I, um, you know, I always wanted to be near alcohol. And it wasn't necessarily all the time to get blocked, but it certainly was to uh, to ease the uh, the day, you know, ease the cogs. And then I think about three, about three and a half years after working on cruise ships, I uh, was working on the QE2 and got myself so, I, I blamed it on a, a, one of the passengers, actually, because I could never take responsibility for my actions. But I got so freaking drunk, I, uh, I fell down a flight of, I think it was 30-something stairs and split my chin open. And that was a big no-no. You weren't allowed to be drunk, or at least seemed to be drunk on the on the ships. And I was completely battered with blood pissing out of my chin. I uh, tried to fight off the medical staff because all I wanted to do was go home. I had to be sedated. I was told about all of this afterwards. Um, but needless to say, I was uh, sacked and uh, <laughs> not allowed to work on uh, any of the Cunard ships ever again, banned for life, which I saw... saw at the time as an achievement you know and that's a bit sad really not an achievement at all but um i went on to work on a, a, another company on board uh but the drink this that was the first instance that i can pinpoint where the drink started to come into life and stopped me from being a complete human being um i came back from ships and uh fell into another job uh, ended up managing a couple of restaurants. But again, I was making sure that I was close to alcohol, you know, working and managing these restaurants. So you worked hard. That meant you were allowed to party hard. You know, I was enabling myself. And it's part of the culture and working in hospitality that there's a lot of booze involved and it was great fun and everything. And uh, except I wasn't having fun unless I was drinking. You know, I wasn't getting any fun or contentment or fulfillment out of life as a whole. And the thing is, I knew I was better than what I was doing. Or sorry, I knew I was more capable of what I was doing. And therefore, I was resentful of anything and everything. And yet it still wasn't my fault. It still wasn't the drink's fault either. You know, I could not accept responsibility for my actions. And I couldn't accept that drink had become um a toxic influence in my life and I went, I went through other jobs as well and the drinking got worse and worse um to the point where um so my dad came I, I should mention actually my I stayed with my gran on and off when I worked on cruise ships because I didn't want to stay with mum she was just too severe and I didn't like my stepdad, so I stayed with my gran. And it's important to mention her because she was one of the most stable influences in my life. Um, and the first woman in my life to ever actually show me unconditional love. Um, I've since realized through listening to my mom talk about her upbringing that she didn't know how to either. So I have 
certainly resolved um, any blame that I put in my mother for an unhappy childhood. Um, but I didn't know any of that at the time. Um, but my my gran was the first person to show me unconditional love, you know, no matter what state I was in. And she, um, so I stayed with her on and off on cruise ships, but then later on she took um, chronic lymphocytic leukemia. And when she went through chemotherapy, I would stay with her to make sure, allegedly, that she got down the stairs okay, because obviously after the, the chemo, it can make, leave you very shaky. And this is uh, a lady well into her 80s um, who was just a force of nature. You know, I was meant to be looking after her and I would roll out of bed at 11 o'clock in the morning uh, and, you know, come downstairs with bleary eyes. And she's cooking breakfast and ironing my underpants. Now, who was taking care of who, you know? She's just an amazing, amazing lady. Um, but the reason I was staying with her was not out of love because I, I, I didn't, I was too immature to know really what love was. I was staying with her because I wanted people to think I was a great guy, you know? And uh, I've, I've resolved that in my head since then. Um, um, that among many other things, but it was her death who actually that actually brought about my introduction to AA inadvertently because my dad and my stepmom came over from Canada, and uh, I'd always had sort of a passing relationship with my dad, uh, but my stepmom was a great talker and she knew how to talk about feelings and, um, you know, she's a great woman who I'm very close to today. But she hadn't seen me. Dad had seen me in the past sort of two years or so. But Anne, my stepmom, hadn't seen me in about seven or eight years. And she took one look at me and unbeknownst to me, uh, burst out crying. Because my eyes weren't white anymore. They were yellow. I'd physically changed. You know, I had the drawn look of a, you know, a good proper alky. You know, not eating right and sunken cheeks and all of that. And uh, after the funeral, my dad sat me down and I thought we were going to talk about my grand's will. And um, he asked me a very, very important question. And I don't know if he is just naturally gifted at knowing the right thing to say or if he got advice on the right thing to say to an alcoholic. He's probably just one of those bastards that does life well naturally. Um, but he said to me, Tim, do you think you have a problem with drink? He didn't say, I think you have a problem with strength. He asked me, do you think you have a problem with strength? And that was the first time I had been confronted in that way with at least a little compassion. Um, and yet still, I couldn't admit it. I said, I don't know. So he gave me uh, a couple of phone numbers um, for traditional AA. And, uh, and I phoned him and uh, <laughs> I was expecting a sympathetic voice on the end of the line. And this this guy came on. I said, hello, is that AA? And he goes, yes, yes, this is AA. And I said, yeah, I'm, I'm struggling a wee bit here. And he goes, right, you got a problem with drink? No bother. As if I had just said, I need a new pair of socks. You know, it was second nature to him. I was expecting, you know, somebody to make a big deal out of it. And he's like, yeah, yeah, dead on. Okay. You just stay in the line. I'll get you somebody to phone you in five minutes. And sure enough, within a couple of minutes, a guy phoned me. Um, 
and we met up. We actually met up outside a coffee shop. And he took one look at me and said, right, come on to my house. Because he knew I was in a rough state. And I thought, here we go. Another fucking lecture. Brilliant. I've been here before. Yeah, I have two hours of being told what a piece of shit I am. Again. Yeah, bring it on. But uh, to my surprise, he didn't ask me any questions at the start. And he didn't ask about me at all. He talked about himself. And he talked about his struggles with drink and how he enjoyed it at the start and how gradually, slowly but surely, it took over his life until he was left with nearly nothing. Um, and then at the end of it, he said, so does any of that make any sense to you? And I said, fucking all of it, mate. So uh, he took me to my first meeting. Um, and I didn't even see anything that was on the walls at the time. Uh, they asked me if I wanted to uh, to share. I, everybody else had stood up and or spoken up and said, uh, my name's whoever and I'm an alcoholic. And I think that was the first time I was honest in decades. And I said, my name's Tim and I don't know if I'm an alcoholic because I have no fucking clue what's going on. Um, and yeah, it was the first time I was honest and I, I don't know how long. But gradually, you know, the fog cleared physically. And I started to actually smile. Um, and I started to notice things on the walls. Like all those wee trite sayings you get in AA, you know, let go, let God, and all of that stuff, which, no, fuck off. You know, I, I was brought up to be agnostic, in essence. Um, I was given my own choice when I was brought up. And I had a brain in my head, so I just didn't see any use to religion whatsoever i saw certainly in northern ireland i saw what i could do on the negative side of things and split people apart and kill people maim murder the things that are done in the name of religion in my mind are unforgivable um but you know i stuck with it and i i, I agreed at the time with fake it till you make it yeah i'll just i'll just pretend you know i'll pretend to do you know um, to go along with the prayers and never got down on my knees because fuck no, I am. I don't care how sick, dead or dying I am. I will bow to no man, <laughs> especially not an imaginary beard in the sky. Get down on your knees and pray. Fuck off. I'm sorry. Uh, I feel a little less passionately about it right now. You know, I understand why people do it, but it's certainly it's not for me. Um, but, you know, I, I went along with it and things got better. And I would love to say I didn't drink again. But boy, I I, uh, I did. And I drank a lot again because one of my biggest problems in life was seeking externally for something to fix me because I saw myself as broken, bad, black on the inside. Um so I looked externally for validation, for someone to tell me it's all right, you're a good person. And there were plenty, plenty of people in AA doing that, but I still didn't get it. You know, I, 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 I couldn't, you know, because everybody in AA was telling me just get a higher power. You know, and that, that's, that doesn't fit with my belief system at all. To me, um, my recovery depends on me doing the work. I am responsible for my actions today 
I have been responsible for all of my actions and I stand up and I'm counted for them. Um, and that that's an important part of my recovery. So if I hand that over and say it's part of God's ineffable plan, then I'm not responsible for my actions. A big beard in the sky is. So how the hell does that work? You know, that that, that doesn't fit in with my sensibilities. Um, I'm responsible for my actions, good and bad. And that means I'm responsible for my recovery. I can't hand it over. I can't let somebody else take care of it. Uh, because that's what I always did. I always read that why I drank, you know. Um, so I, I did drink again. I got I managed to get an amazing job over in Africa teaching uh, photography and, you know, working 16 hour days and going out into the bush and taking photographs of lions and elephants and hyenas and things. And it was absolutely amazing. And I lasted for about two and a half years out there. Uh, without taking a drink and without really any program to speak of until it crept in, you know. Um, and it, it crept in with one beer one day, and then the next week it was one beer one day, and within three months it was a bottle of brandy a day at least, you know. And that's why I know this disease is progressive for me. Uh, and I've seen it in other people as well. Um, but I, I didn't have a program and I didn't have the support over there that I have over here. Uh, you know, I, I could get to one meeting a week. And again, it was very faith based. Um, people would say the Lord's Prayer at the end of the meeting, which, you know, I, I always preferred the, the Guinness Prayer. You know, our beer, which art in barrels, hallowed be thy drink. Thy will be drunk. I will be drunk at home as it is in the pub, you know, and give us this day our creamy head and forgive us our spillages. All that. But, um, but yeah, I, I drank again over in Africa. And um, it got to the point where I had to make a terrible decision. Either stay here and risk, um, risk myself. Or go back home to where I knew that the um, I would get the help that I needed. And as soon as I made that decision, and it's very rare for me that both my head and my heart agree on anything. Um, but I knew it was the right decision to make. And I felt so relieved, you know. Um, so I came back home and I, I, I couldn't. I still couldn't deal with it. The, the low self-esteem and the lack of self-confidence. Um, yeah, it's, it crushed me because I saw it as a failure where it wasn't a failure. You know, I, I learned how to teach. I learned how to, you know, all of these things about the animals and learning about wildlife photography and everything and, and everything, but I, I couldn't see it. What I had done was I had, I'd swapped my obsession for drink with an obsession for work. So I came back and um, I started the work again and went through the program again. And on and off, uh, I got periods of sobriety between six months and a year. Um, and when it was good, it was good. But when it was bad, it was fucking awful. You know, the last drink I took, um, I, I, and again, this is the progressive nature of the disease. You know, I didn't go out and have a wee beer. I went out and bought a, a big bottle of vodka. 
you know, I uh, I had half an hour of feeling maybe numb. And then for the next 10 days, I was drinking warm, raw vodka straight from the bottle because I couldn't cope with the guilt, shame and remorse, and remorse that I was drinking again. You know, and that's the madness of this disease. People say they drink and then they go mad. I go mad and then I drink because surely to drink is madness. I know it is. Um, thank God it's different today. You know, I look back on my, on the way I was thinking and just shiver internally. You know, I would disagree with a lot of the language within AA because it's quite archaic and out of date, to be honest. But there's one thing in that big book which I really identify with, and that's the savage state of mind. You know, that horrific kind of just all churning state of mind. There's a, a series called Elementary with Johnny Lee Miller and Lucy Liu. Um, and he's supposed to be a sort of modern day Sherlock and he's recovering from heroin addiction. And that's quite a big part of, um, of well, certainly of his personality. But he's at a meeting and he describes his addiction as having a finely tuned Formula One Ferrari engine inside his head. And it's running absolutely full tilt, but nothing's connected. And I can identify with that, too. You know, I think, you know, the. Uh, there's a commonality amongst all addictions. You know, you're trying to fill that hole inside. Um, and there's certainly behavioral similarities between all addictions as well. I mean, the the problem with addiction, I believe, for me, is, you know, the, the substance itself, whatever you use to deal with reality as such, that's that's a symptom of the disease you suffer from the disease you know the disconnection and i find that and i still find today that the antidote for me is communication with other people is isolation that, that that was the way i sort of shut the world out you know lock the door uh, i would look actually in the midst of it all i would lock the door the front door take my three bottles of wine or a bottle of vodka upstairs sit on the toilet in the bathroom and lock that door too you know because i knew subconsciously i was doing something wrong so i had to hide and make sure that nobody ever caught me but the the funny thing is you know i nobody would ever find any drink of mine ever i was a, a genius at hiding it but see when there wasn't any drink left in the bottle they would always find the empties you know because fuck why why would i give a shit about an empty bottle you know, but they would never find any drink. <laughs> but that's that's again, that's the nature of the disease for me. <clears throat> but it's my nature, <clears throat> uh, which I've had to look at carefully from both sides of the coin, you know, and I, I think from my again, the, the low self-esteem and all of that, I I concentrated on the, the bad aspects of my personality. That's what needs fixed. That what's that's what needs to change. And I, it's not just about that. You know, I, I need to be more compassionate with myself and um, and learn to love myself and see myself as a flawed human being. But there's perfection in that, you know. It's, um, it's, life isn't meant to be absolutely perfect and rosy and fucking unicorn farts and strawberries all the time, you know. Life's a, a, a bit of a bollocks sometimes, but when you can actually 
or what I find when I can actually go with the flow with life and stop headbutting my way through life, it just goes a lot, uh, a lot easier, you know. Um, today, I had a great day today. I faffed about all weekend. Um, I've, I've got this wee sort of notice board uh, where I write my schedule. I work for myself now as a handyman and photographer, which is a great combination, a great variety. But I write my schedule up here and I'd written for the weekend that I wanted to reseal my own uh, bath. And I'd, uh, you know, that way when you look at something and you don't want to see something, so you just see something else. And I saw it this morning, you know, reseal the bathroom. I was, fuck's sake, I meant to do that all weekend. And all I did was play computer games and go to meetings and stuff. So I did it this morning. And despite myself, you know, I had a good day. I often get days like that, that uh, because I've left myself out of the equation, I've had a good day. Because I haven't spent the whole day involved in myself, I've had a good day. You know, I, I take a, a great joy today in uh, doing things for other people. I take a great joy in photography because concentrating on that subject that I'm photographing, it stops me thinking about myself. I have a great relationship with my mother today. Uh, I find out, and here's a shocker, my mum's actually a human being. You know? It's weird that I saw her as this powerful, you know, she was like, I, people say, you know, I lived, I had the fear of God put into me when I was younger. I had fear of mum, you know, she was a physiotherapist. And when she slapped you, I swear to God, you woke up and your kids, your clothes were out of fashion. Um, but today, my mum and I have a brilliant relationship. You know, we can be honest with each other uh, and open for the most part. Um, there's some things a mother doesn't need to know, <laughs> but, um, but again, that, that's a key component of my recovery today is being honest with myself. And that's why I struggled early on with the recovery program, because I, I couldn't hand it over to God, you know, um, I couldn't sit and recite the Lord's prayer at a meeting because I wasn't being honest, you know. Uh, today, um, you know, we I do service in the the secular meeting for Bangor, like uh, like Mark was saying there, and I feel such a freedom within the secular rooms of AA because I'm not lying to anybody, and I'm not having to watch what I say so as not to offend somebody who is religious. Um, not that I would intentionally do that, but um, when somebody's preaching at me and telling me you need a higher power. You know, the best way to tell me to do something is to tell me not to do it. You know, I'm a stubborn, arrogant son of a bitch when I want to be. You know, and if somebody says to me, you need to get a higher power, well, you need to fuck off. That's what you need to do. If somebody told me, Tim, you need to breathe, I would hold my breath. You know, uh, so today, because I have resolved that sort of that higher power issue you know i thought i wasn't getting it because well you know because i didn't have a higher power because i was a bad person because i didn't believe in religion that's a load of bollocks the recovery program is the bare bones for me and i'm the one that puts the flesh and sinew and skin and hair and teeth and fingernails and eyeballs and all that crap on us 
you know, the recovery program works with or without religion. Whoever, if religion's your thing, fill your boots. You know, I'm not going to tell you what to think. Don't you tell me what to think either, you know. And uh, I'll finish with the quote. Mark said that we were we were talking about uh, Maggie Smith and uh, that conversation. And it's a lovely quote. And it, it sort of it suits me down to the ground because it suits my nature um, and it suits my opinion about why I far prefer secular AA to uh, to regular traditional AA. And she says, uh, religion is like a penis. It's okay to have it, and it's even okay to be proud of it. But when you take it out and wave it in somebody's face, they tend to get offended. You know, and that that's, it just sits me down to the ground. You know, I don't like to be told what to think. Just leave me to it, you know. Certainly, if you want to... Uh, if you want to give me advice, the best way to do that is to wait until I ask for it, you know, and I try to practice the same thing. I get it wrong all the time. I get it wrong all the time. But because I have a support group, like a bunch of lunatics just like me, you know, I can come on and rant and rave all the time. Uh, and there's many people in the world with, who, who don't have who have problems, but don't. Uh, necessarily have a forum like this to voice them in to get advice when they ask for it and to just be heard you know I, I find myself uh, and see myself as very fortunate today um, I do do a lot of work every day on my recovery but it's because I'm a selfish bastard at heart I like being happy you know I've discovered I like being happy I like being contented and that's why I keep coming back to the meetings and that's when Mark said to me uh would you do a chair it is a privilege to come and speak to to anybody that will listen especially when it's my favorite topic which is me so uh thank you very much again mark i leave it there thanks buddy